All right, guys. Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to John chapter 18. Uh, tonight, we're going to cover more than just John, uh, the rest of John 18. We're going to dive into John chapter 19 also. Uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it's a portion of Scripture that's actually really heavy. Uh, so when I say fun, I don't know actually how fun it's going to be. Uh, but I think we're going to learn a lot. Um, but I actually I was talking with Dan uh, earlier today. Um, because Dan and I were working a bunch today. We cleared out an entire basement uh, and cleaned up a basement, made the basement look awesome. Um, but we were doing the basement during my normal prep time and study time for this. Uh, and so uh, then from there, Dan and I had to run and run some errands. And it was just like one thing after the next. And we were, it was probably what, 4.45. Uh, we were on our way here. And I was like, Dan, I have to just like go hide in a closet and just put everything that I got going on in my brain for the last week on the paper. So it's actually going to be formulated. Uh, and, and so we're going to see, um, we're going to see what happens tonight. Um, we have, we have a, a lot. I actually have some good notes. We have a four point sermon tonight. So we're going to try and hit all four points, uh, in a good amount of time, but I'm going to start us off just by doing some reading. Um, and then some praying. And uh, actually, I'm going to pray to start. Then we're going to read. Uh, and then we're just going to dive into to what God's Word uh, has to say for us. This is what it says uh, when I pray, then I start to read. That's what I said I would do. Dear God, we thank you so much uh, just for the opportunity that we have uh, to study your Word. Uh, God, thank you uh, that you loved us so much, God. You, you, you penned this love letter to us. And God, as we've been studying through the Gospel of John in our series, I Saw the Light, God, I pray that that would be each and every single one of us that that we, uh, we could say, uh, praise the Lord, I've seen the light uh, in God. Uh, that was what John was trying to um, encourage the followers there to, to say. They had seen the light, they had seen the word, they had seen Jesus. And God, I just pray that we see Jesus and uh, God in each and every single one of our studies. Uh, God, tonight we just pray that uh, none of these would be my words, but God, that you would speak through. God, allow your word uh, just to speak truth and your Holy Spirit, God, just to uh, give us discernment on what your word has to say. Uh, and so, God, we just thank you and we praise you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. So we're in John chapter 18. Uh, last week we talked really about Jesus' uh, betrayal uh, and everything that went down with Jesus' betrayal. Um, I think we titled the sermon A Cold Dark Night. Uh, and if we were to title this sermon, uh, we would uh, we'd title it Pilate's Dilemma. Pilate's dilemma. Pilate has a dilemma that's going to come up uh, as Jesus has been arrested. Uh, if you remember last week, he was he was carted off to uh, not the high priest or the temple. He was carted off to Annas's house, uh, and Annas was this Godfather-esque kind of character. Uh, Caiaphas, his father-in-law, uh, he was kind of pulling some strings from behind the uh, from behind the scenes, uh, and they really just did a terrible job at putting Jesus on trial. They broke pretty much every law you could break just to put him on trial. And we're going to see some hypocrisy in just a few moments by uh, these Pharisees. But let's read, picking up in verse 28. We're going to read verse 28 through 32. Last time it says I was this. tempted to, answer the, to ask the question, was he part of the Illuminati? Oh, the strings? oh yeah, there you go. Probably was, probably was. This is what it says in verse 28 of chapter 18. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. That's a cool word. Uh, and it was early in the morning. 
but they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. And Pilate uh, then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Um, before we even get into like the points of this sermon, uh, these are the very same uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes who just moments earlier in the narrative uh, broke every single law there is about putting someone on trial. If you notice here, it says it was early in the morning. Well, yeah, because they did the trial at night, and the trial at night was a violation of the Jewish law. Uh, they were giving a, a a verdict in that night, which is a, tr- uh, a violation of Jewish law. They weren't doing it in the temple, another violation of Jewish law. Uh, they weren't having the high priest preside over it, another violation. So they were violating a bunch of Jewish laws, and literally a verse after that portion of the story it says they bring him to the praetorium but they didn't go into the praetorium because they did not want to become unclean they didn't want to be undef- uh, or, or, or defiled so that they could still participate in their festivities and their passover and whatnot uh which is a huge hypocritical moment for these guys these guys are like yeah you know we're gonna break every law but then laws that don't matter to us we're going to uphold them to a T. Um, some things just to be said real quick uh, about the praetorium. Uh, this was where uh, the the procurator uh, of the Roman Empire would be. Uh, he's not quite a governor, um, but he's not like the general of an army. He, he's just kind of the, the leader of uh, the praetorian uh, or, or, or the legions. He, he has governing uh He's like the second hand to the governor, uh, and so he's in charge of all of this region, uh, a guy by the name of Pontius Pilate, uh, and, and we're going to talk a lot about him tonight, even though, uh, I mean, even uh, his name being a part of our title. Uh, so it goes on, and, and, and Pilate says in verse 29, uh, what accusation do you bring against this man? Uh, and they answered and said, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have brought him to you. Uh, they get a little sassy. Uh, here with Pilate. Yeah, yeah, they're like, uh, they thought Pilate would take him right away and just be like, yeah, I'll, because I don't like Jews, I'll, I'll do something against him. But uh, they, they, they were caught off guard, so they're like, yeah, if he didn't do anything evil, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Now take him off our hands. But Pilate is a little bit smarter than that. We're told in Matthew's Gospel that Pilate could sense that they were doing this out of envy. Uh, Pilate knew what was going on. He'd heard about Jesus. He, he knew that Jesus was doing some things, and he knew that the Pharisees weren't very happy uh, about all of this. It goes on uh, to say, you take him and judge him according to your law. Um, Pilate says to the Jews, and the Jews say, it's unlawful for us to put anyone to death. Again, being hypocrites, uh, now uh, following what the law has to say, whereas just a few moments ago they weren't following the law. Uh, now, it should be noted that this portion of Scripture uh, where it says the, these leaders of the Jews were saying, we can't put anyone to death. Uh, Jews were able to put people to death throughout Jewish history. Uh, God had given them a law, and, and it had in that law prescribed uh, times where the death penalty uh, was available and you could kill someone. The reason why they're saying they are not able to kill anyone anymore is because... 
something took place in 6 AD that changed the way the Jews were able to operate. Uh, Rome took full control of Palestine in 6 AD. Now, if this, this is for anyone who just wants to be uh, uber awesome with Bible trivia uh, and re really some prophecy. This, this is actually very, very important, so I think uh, all of us should, should know this. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, uh, God tells uh, the, the, the children of Israel that the scepter of Judah uh, will not be taken from Judah's house uh, until Shiloh comes. Um, the scepter in uh, biblical typology and um, in, in that time period uh, was a symbol of governing power. Uh, so in essence, what God is telling the Jews is he says, you will have governing power until Shiloh comes. You will have the capability to make laws, to make taxes, to carry out a death penalty. Uh, you will have that power, but you won't have that power once Shiloh comes. Uh, who is Shiloh? Well, throughout the Old Testament, uh, Shiloh is another name for Messiah. So even by them saying this, we can't kill him, they're acknowledging that Messiah is somewhere around, and yet they're giving Messiah up. Uh, but the Talmud, which is a, a ancient Jewish text and uh, a historical document about um, what went on uh, with the Jews and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and whatnot. The Talmud tells us that when Rome took over in 6 AD, uh, the Sanhedrin covered themselves in ashes and paraded themselves around the city of Jerusalem, chanting, you ready for this? The scepter has been taken away, but Shiloh has not come. God has let us down. The scepter has been taken away. Shiloh has not come. God has let us down. Little did they know that a little boy, at this point, probably 10 years old, was there in Nazareth learning how to carve just like his dad. He was two years away from going and preaching uh, in the synagogue. This boy, Jesus, was Messiah. But here they were saying Shiloh hasn't come, but God had fulfilled his promise. Rome had taken away uh, their, their ability to rule and govern themselves because Messiah had come. And so them here in this very statement, they are fulfilling or uh, proving some things uh, that were going to be uh, coming uh, and taking place, some things that had been prophesied before. Uh, it says this in verse 32. That saying, uh, uh, or uh, uh, verse 31, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the sayings of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by which death he would die. Earlier in John, uh, John chapter 3, we see Jesus uh, talk about how he would be raised up. Um, and this... Uh, is is something uh, that should be very important and should be noted also. Jesus was not referring to him rising from the dead here. When he was saying raised up, he was actually talking about when he would die. And uh, the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they were all very familiar with the Psalms. And Psalm 22 was a messianic prophecy dedicated to Shiloh coming. And they all knew Psalm 22. They knew that Psalm 22 was about Shiloh. So them saying that we can't kill anymore, scepter's taken away, Shiloh isn't here. Well, here's some crazy things about Psalm 22, some prophecy things. Uh, Psalm 22 talks about Shiloh being killed by being raised up. Um, it, it talks about that he his life will be traded for the life of a crook, which are some things that we're going to see 
down the road here, even in this portion of scripture, uh, and, and that he would die for the sins not only of the Jews, but for the entire world. Here's the crazy thing. Psalm chapter 22 was written several hundred years before the Persians invented crucifixion as a way of killing someone. Uh, even more hundred years before the Romans had adopted that Persian way of killing someone and made it their standard operating system. So prophecy is being fulfilled and the sayings of Jesus about how he was going to be raised up, about how he was going to be betrayed. All these things are coming into fruition and the, uh, the Pharisees can't even see it. Their eyes are so blinded by their pride and by their envy that they cannot see it happening uh, right in front of them. So the title of the message tonight uh, is Pilate's Dilemma. Uh, and his first way he approaches this dilemma, the dilemma being, what do I do with Jesus? These Jews want to kill him. What do I do with Jesus? The first point uh, is that Pilate tried to delegate. Pilate tries to delegate. Uh, we see uh, in, in the other Gospels that he says, oh, well, he's from Galilee. Well, that's not my jurisdiction. Send him over to Herod. And so what John doesn't tell us is that in this little uh, spot, uh, just between a few verses, he sends him to Herod. He goes, he gets on trial uh, at Herod's palace. Uh, while he's at Herod's palace, Herod had heard about Jesus. We're told that Herod uh, wanted Jesus to come and had been wanting Jesus to come for much time because he wanted to see Jesus do a magic trick. It was like if we were uh, hanging out here and someone said David Blaine was just two doors down, we'd want David Blaine to come over here and do a magic trick for us. Or Chris Angel the Mind Freak. That'd be cool. It's like <laughs> levitate your way over to us, you know. Uh, and so that's what uh, Herod was expecting Jesus to do, but Jesus just stood silent in his midst. And uh, we're told that Herod's guards treated Jesus with contempt. Uh, they mocked him. They beat him. Uh, they they just made a uh, um, a spectacle out of him, and then they sent him back uh, to Pilate, all beat up. Luke tells us that when he goes back to Pilate, Pilate asks what he had done, and the Pharisees give three reasons why Pilate should try him. They say he has perverted the nation, he has taught us to refuse to pay taxes, and he has claimed to be king. Now, two of these three things are completely outlandish if you actually knew what Jesus taught. Did he pervert the nations? No, he did the exact opposite. He cleansed the nations. He purified the nations. He told them how that they could be made clean, not just on the outside, but from the inside out. Jesus was not in any way perverting. He was cleansing, and he was teaching people to be baptized both in water and in spirit. And, and, and so the Pharisees were way out of line here. And Pilate was knowing these things. Pilate wasn't stupid. Um, then he says, yeah, they've, they've taught us, Jesus has taught us not to pay our taxes. Well, that can't be true at all because Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar or what is Caesar's. He, he said, yeah, pay your taxes, pay your taxes. At one point, the disciples were freaking out because they didn't have enough money. Last week, we learned that Judas was a thief, so that's probably why they didn't have enough money. But they didn't have enough money and it was tax time. And what did Jesus tell them? Did you say, ah, don't worry about your taxes? No, Jesus said, go out, catch a fish. And bring it to me. They went out, they caught a fish, they bring it to him, and Jesus pulls a coin out of the fish's mouth. There's the magic trick that Herod was looking for. And he says, pay the taxes. Jesus was not telling anyone to not pay taxes. Jesus was saying, hey, render unto Caesar what is Caesar. So these guys are coming with outlandish uh, and, and, and just false accusation. It was hearsay. Um, but Jesus did claim to be king. Uh, and, and for that, he was guilty uh, of what they were saying, that he had claimed to be king. This is what it says in verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium and again called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? 
Now, up until this point, everything has been hearsay. Pilate is hearing what they're saying. They're uh, hearing what they say the people are saying. They're making things up. Uh, and hearsay uh, is always bad. Hearsay in a court case is uh, inadmissible. You can't, uh, you can't base things off of hearsay. You have to go straight to the source, the eyewitness. And uh, in our lives, we have to go straight to the source. When we hear people say things, oh, well, Jesus said that. Oh, well, the Bible says that. We can't just take people at their word. Like when I said earlier that there's a prophecy in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Go look it up. Make sure I'm not just making something up. I can guarantee you I'm not making something up. But you got to take things from what the source says. Hearsay is never good. Um, I, it reminds me of this guy uh, who, who I, I talked to when I was in college. And he's like, man, yeah, Jesus is really cool. Like I love Christianity. It's really, really good. Uh, but what I love about Jesus is he just says that like uh, he's God, but and you can have salvation through him. But what's really cool is Jesus loves people, uh, and he doesn't like it, he he doesn't get offended, which is really cool. And, and, and you know Jesus is awesome because all roads lead to heaven, and and so Jesus works for some people, but Buddhism works for other people, and all that stuff. And I had to like stop myself from like freaking out on him. Uh, like initially, I was like I'm. I, this guy might end up on the floor, and I was, but uh, not because I was going to hit him, because I was going to lay so much theology and pass him out, you know. Uh, but but uh, he, I, I was just like, wait, so Jesus says that? He goes, yeah, Jesus says that for sure. I'm like, well, can you tell me where he says that? He's like, oh, well, my pastor told me all these things. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. Well, uh, uh, I was like, well, can you show me in Scripture where it says that? And and he couldn't. And I said, well, Jesus says right here in John 14, 6, that I am the only way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. I, I'm pretty sure Jesus says all roads don't lead to him. I think he says wide is the road of those who are led to destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to heaven, and few find it. And, and I said, what do you have to say about those things? And he says, well, you know, I really don't want to talk about it anymore. And it's like, really? Okay. And so we have to go straight to the source. We have to go to God's word. And so uh, Pilate was trying to get down to the source. The second thing Pilate tries to do in this dilemma, he tried to delegate, but the delegating would not work. He couldn't send it off to Herod, so now he's going to begin to negotiate. Uh, Pilate's going to negotiate, and, and, and these are the things. Jesus answers him in verse 34 and says, Are you speaking of yourself about this, or did the others tell you concerning me? Here we go. Jesus is saying, Hey, are you basing this off a hearsay or are you basing it off this a fact? And then verse 35, Pilate answers and says, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? So now Pilate's like, okay, yeah, I'm done with the hearsay. You tell me what's going on. Your people must hate you a lot to send you to me. Like, what'd you do? Let's talk about this. Let's try and figure out what, what we can come to uh, as a viable solution. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered uh, to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus tells Pilate straight up because Pilate is a Roman leader and he's put there in Jerusalem so that rebellion will not take place. He's there to stop any rebellion before it happens. Remember, we, we just talked about how there were legions that were brought from Caesarea Philippi 
into Jerusalem for the very purpose of stopping any rebellions because the city has swelled by over 10% of its population. And Jesus says, I, I'm, my kingdom is not a worldly kingdom. We don't want to fight. And Jesus is telling them straight up. And, and one thing that I think is really cool that we can pull from, um, verse 36, uh, Jesus was focused on heaven. He wasn't focused on the temporal world. He's like, no, I'm not about here and now. It's eternal. Uh, and, and I think that's something that we should do. Uh, people like to say, well, people who are so focused on heaven, they're no good for the present now, here and now, here on earth. But C.S. Lewis, uh, in, in his work, Mere Christianity, said these things. Uh, if you were to take a look back at history, those who did the most for this present world were those who were focused on the next world. He said Christians today have become lack because they have focused too much on the present, not on the next and so uh, we can actually do so much more for this world when we focus on heaven. It should be interesting and it should be noted when Jesus here says, I don't want to fight. I'm not from this earth. I'm not about a kingdom here. The very three things that Jesus was accused of by the Jews, perverting a nation, teaching to refuse taxes, and claiming to be king, uh, in 63 AD, a war between the Jews and the Romans kicked off. It was a three-part war. We had World War One, World War Two, and World War Three. It was actually called Jewish-Roman War One, Jewish-Roman Roman War Two, and Jewish-Roman War Three. Here's how these wars all broke out. In 63 uh, AD, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, they perverted the nation and said, we hate Rome, and they built this huge just story about how Rome was evil and everything, and they caused a rebellion. And they were crushed, and they were expelled from Jerusalem. No Jews were allowed in Jerusalem anymore. Everyone was kicked out. They destroyed the temple. The temple's ransacked. So one of the very things they claimed Jesus was trying to do, Jesus said, I'm not doing it. They went and did, and they were destroyed. Then, in 115 uh, uh, AD, in the Ketos War, which was the second uh, Jewish-Roman War, uh, this guy by the name, I, I forgot to write down his name, but he had a really, really cool Jewish name. He was the leader of, of a group of rebels uh, that was literally translated from the Hebrew, the dagger, which that's a cool name for rebels, the dagger, you know. Uh, and he led a rebellion because he hated the taxes that Rome had brought on them. And so he brings this rebellion that's fighting against taxation without representation as it would be uh, um, and so the refusal to pay taxes, which Jesus was not teaching, uh, the Jews do, and they get crushed by the Romans. And then in 132 AD, a guy by the name of Barcoba claims to be Messiah, claims to be the king of the Jews, and leads a rebellion against Rome. And it's quelched, and every single Jew is displaced from the region known of Judea and Palestine. And it stayed that way all the way up until the early 1900s. And so um, the very things that they were blaming Jesus for uh, uh, being bad about was the very things that they were doing and they were being crushed because they actually wanted to fight because they were trying to establish something. But Jesus said, no, I'm not about this world. I, I have a heavenly purpose. Uh, and, and there's more here going on than you can see. Verse 37 picks up with Pilate saying, uh, well, are you a king then? And Jesus answered him and said, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears 
my voice. Pilate says unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault with this man. Um, Pilate in the early church, uh, the early church saw Pilate uh, not as the man who ends up killing Jesus. Uh, they actually see Pilate as kind of a hero uh, who was fighting for Jesus, who really wanted to see Jesus um, come out a winner. Um, we have actually documents that date back, uh, our earliest known document uh, of these date back to the 3rd century uh, AD, but we have 2nd century mentioning of a document called the Acts of Pontius Pilate, and it's it's literally uh, one of the bodyguards of one of the Praetorian guards, so the Praetorian guard are protecting Pilate, and each one of them has a few bodyguards. Well, one of the bodyguards supposedly uh, gets a copy of the documents that Pontius Pilate wrote, just a, kind of like an overview of this whole event that took place that he sent to the emperor. He, he had a few copies, and one of these guys has a copy, converted to Christianity, and shared this with the early church. And it gives a whole story about how Pilate was so distraught by what was going on because he knew Jesus was innocent and he felt so guilty about what was going to then take place that he himself, because his wife converted to Christianity, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on, that Pilate himself uh, converts to Christianity when he is removed from being the Roman uh, proctor uh, of this region. So, 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 so he was a hero in the early church. And so what he does here, he tries to negotiate. He tries to make sure Jesus is okay because he has no fault with them. He says, I'm going to give them, because they have a custom that someone gets released from prison, I'm going to give them this guy named Barabbas. Uh, here in John's Gospel, we see that he's called a robber, but he was more than just a robber. Uh, we're told in other Gospels that he was a rabble-rouser, he was a leader of an insurrection, he was a murderer. Uh, he was trying to cause a rebellion, the very thing that they were saying uh, Jesus was doing. He's like, well, I actually have a real rebel. He's killed people, he's stolen from people. And here's the crazy thing, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they liked what he was about, but they hated the things that he was doing because it was causing problem with Rome, and they didn't like the status quo being upset. That's why they were bringing Jesus before him. And so Pilate's like, okay, I'm going to give them the opportunity to have someone ten times worse than Jesus. And of course they're going to let Jesus go free because this guy's Jesus times ten on the bad scale. And so they're going to want uh, me to kill him. So he tries to negotiate. Doesn't work. They say, we don't want Barabbas. Like, or we don't want Jesus. Give us Barabbas. Let Barabbas go free. He's great. Let's hang out with him. And, 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 and this just makes Pilate go crazy. He doesn't know what's happening. Uh, and so he gives him Barabbas. He says, all right, I'm going to set Barabbas free. And that brings us to our third point in, in the first part of chapter 19. Uh, not, he was unsuccessful in delegating uh, this dilemma being Jesus. Uh, he was unsuccessful in negotiating uh, uh, the release of Jesus. Uh, and now we're going to see him uh, satiate, which is just a fancy way of saying uh, satisfy. He's going to try and satisfy uh, what the, I had to keep the, the negotiate, the delegate, the satiate. Uh, and our last point is going to have eight at the end. Um, uh, just, I like those kind of words. But uh, it, it really just means to satisfy. What he's going to do is he's going to try and satisfy the Jews. He's going to say, okay, they want to see Jesus beat up. They don't like him. Let me give them a little bit of blood. They've got a, a bloodlust. Let's try and appease that. So, so he's going to try and satisfy them. And this is what it says here in verse 1 of 19. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. 
Um, anytime you hear the word scourge, it doesn't, it doesn't ever sound like a good thing. Uh, it sounds like a pretty painful thing. Uh, we know from history uh, what scourging is. They would take something that's called a flagellum, uh, and it was uh, or, or a cat of nine tails. Uh, it, it's a whip uh, that has nine leather straps, and that periodically throughout those straps are pieces of stone, pieces of bone, pieces of pottery, pieces of glass, all jagged and all weaved into there, and they use this as a whip. And they would beat him. And it wouldn't just be one person beating. It would be two people who were Roman-trained torturers, one on either side. And they would take times whipping at an angle and then pulling it down. And then the next guy would come in with that angle. And so they're making these cross hatches on Jesus' back. Now, it's not just like an Indiana Jones whip where you get whipped and it leaves a welt. No, with all these jagged bone pieces and, 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 and rock and clay pieces, it would literally latch into the skin and they would have to pull down to break it free. And as they would pull, it would rip layers of skin off the back. The Christian historian Eusebius from the 4th century, he tells us that it was not uncommon for people's back to be so ripped that it would begin to expose bone, it would begin to expose arteries, that in some <laughs> cases it would go so much as to organs would start hanging out their entrails would be hanging out from the back side like they're ripping people's backs to pieces here we're told that some people would lose eyes as a result one of those leather straps would miss the shoulder and would hook an eye and pull an eye out people lost teeth like this is the most gruesome thing that you can get uh the romans wouldn't even do this to the worst roman citizen like, we're talking the serial killer of serial killers in Rome doesn't even get this worse of treating. Like, like they are treating Jesus the worst way possible. And, like, it's, it's disgusting what it is, but it, it just goes to show how much Jesus loved you because he endured this uh, for us. And this fulfills the prophecies in Isaiah that he would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be beat and that by his stripes, literally stripes on his back from these cat of nine tails, these flagellums, that we are healed. And, and so Jesus did all this for us. But not only does he go through this, verse 2 tells us, and the soldiers twist a crown of thorns and put him uh, and put it on his head, uh, and they put a purple robe on him. Uh, now, when I was younger, uh, I thought when I heard crown of thorns uh, that it was like a rose bush, okay? Uh, how many of you guys have ever just accidentally put your hand in a rose bush too much and you get caught by some thorns. Uh, I was at my grandma's house one time and she had a uh, she, she, she had a rose bush and I don't know what we were playing. John, Sam, and I, we used to play with these little koosh balls that were like like the stringy balls, you know, we'd like throw them at each other and we'd have a lot of fun. We played like tag. Um, well, at one point I had backed up against, uh, she has this little like ledge uh, on, on her driveway uh, and I went to dodge one or something, but my heel caught the ledge and I fell back and the entire back of my leg just got ripped up by this rose bush. I have a scar on the back of my leg from it. It was painful and I was like, dang, Jesus went through a lot. Okay, no, uh, this was no rose bush. Uh, we're talking thorns up to six inches in length. These are very big thorns. Very, very big thorns, very, very sharp thorns. You can actually go see these thorns if you were to go to Israel today. They're all over the place and super, super painful. In order to get the crown of thorns, these six thorns on his head, they didn't just like, oh, here's your crown, Jesus. No, they put it on his head and were told they struck him on the head. They used a wooden bat to 
bash this thing onto his head. And you can imagine six inch thorns going down, peeling skin off forehead, blood everywhere. Jesus, we're told in one of the other gospel accounts that he was beaten beyond recognition. You literally could not even understand who was here. I mean, just a few moments earlier, he's being beat up at Herod's palace. He's being punched in the face. We're told earlier than that he's in the uh, he he's in the uh, Annas's house, and the, they're punching him in the face when he's blindfolded. And they're saying, "Hey, prophesy! Who punched you?" Like Jesus is being beat so hard, so hard that you can't even see who he is anymore. He's he's just hamburger meat at this point. Uh, but he's doing this all for us. It tells us not only did they put the crown on him, but then they put a, a purple robe on him. Uh, they took one of the, the, the guards' uh, coats and they put it on him and said, look, here's the king of the Jews. Here's the king of the Jews. They all mocked him. They got on their knees and they said, oh, the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews. But little did they know they were fulfilling prophecy that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. The very things that they were doing uh, as elevating Jesus in a mocking way, uh, they were showing that he truly was the king. And uh, some things were going to take place uh, hereafter. Uh, Pilate thought this would be enough. He says this in verse 4. He says, "Then uh, Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault with him. Um, this, is, this is the third time Pilate said, I find no fault with Jesus. Uh, Pilate is trying his best to get Jesus off the hook. He's like, look, isn't this enough? We beat him to a pulp. We've satisfied your bloodlust. Like, let the man go. Uh, but it goes on to say these things in verse 5. It says, Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said, Behold, the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and you crucify him. I find no fault in him. Then we're going to get some hypocrisy again, because this is what they say. We have a law in our custom, and our law says he ought to die because he has made himself to be the son of God. They're saying, well, no, don't beat him. That's not enough. He has to die. He's claimed to be the son of God. They're quoting the law, the very law that they were just breaking. And Pilate, at this, he, he he's like, what? What is going on? What is going on? He's freaking out. Um, now, some people like to claim, uh, I, I, I've heard it a lot if you've done anything uh, or, or had any debates with people about uh, Jesus. Uh, a lot of people like to say Jesus never claimed to be God. Anyone ever heard that? Well, Jesus is a good teacher. He's a good like prophet, but he never claimed to be God. Anyone else ever heard that before? Yeah. Uh, Jesus' arch enemies here say Jesus claimed to be God. Uh, so we don't even have to look at his followers saying he claimed to be God. His enemies, the people who hated him, want him killed. They wanted him killed because he claimed to be God. So that is a very stupid argument for someone to say. Uh, Jesus' enemies said he claimed to be God. So I just want uh, us to just note that here. Um, but the delegation didn't work. The negotiation didn't work. He couldn't satisfy them. And that brings us to our fourth point. He now goes on to try and exonerate Jesus. He's sick and tired of them trying to kill Jesus, and he's going to try and set Jesus free. It says this, as we continue on to read, 
Therefore, when Pilate heard these sayings, he was more afraid, and he went into the praetorium again to Jesus and said, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you, nor the power to release you? Uh, uh, and then Jesus answered him and said, You have no power at all against me. Boom. That could have made Pilate very, very mad. Jesus goes on to say, It has been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So Jesus is saying, you can try and kill me. You can do whatever you want. You don't have that power. So the people who gave you up, their sin is worse than you even killing me. And and when Pilate hears this, he could have been super mad. I mean, this is a Roman leader, and he was just told he has no power. They thrive off of power. It says this, from that point on, Pilate sought to release him. He wants to exonerate him. He knows Jesus is innocent. He, he's like, you guys, what is your deal? And, uh, but <laughs> uh, Matthew chapter 27 tells us that his wife was even more crazy about setting Jesus free. And we're going to get there uh, in, just a, in just a second. You could say uh, that he was between a rock and a hard place. Actually, you could really say he's between the rock uh, and, and a hard place. Jesus claiming to be the cornerstone, you know. He's between the rock and a hard place. Uh, verse 12 goes on to say this. Uh, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Now, this this probably is taking him back big time. He's like, wait, you guys are on Caesar's side? We're going to see in just a few verses more how this is confusing. But we don't have time to talk tonight uh, because it is already 8.18 uh, about... Uh, the things that Pilate uh, had done. Pilate didn't have the greatest track record in Rome. Uh, he's actually here because he didn't do great things elsewhere. And in Rome, it's kind of a three strikes and you're out thing. He's already got two strikes historically against him. And if he like fails to kill Jesus, the Pharisees are saying, we're going to cause a rebellion. And whether you stop the rebellion or not, a rebellion happened under your watch. You're no longer going to be able to rule in Rome. You're going to be excommunicated from the Roman government. And so now they're putting him at this moral dilemma. My entire livelihood over one man's innocence, but at the same time, he's like, this man is innocent. I can't in good conscience kill him. So he, he's, he's at a, a very large crossroads here. And it says this in verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard these sayings, he brought Jesus out and sat down. That's a big deal. Up until this point, he's been standing and, and, and talking, but he is so overwhelmed with stress, grief. He has no clue what's going, like what, what he's supposed to do. He sits down, but where he sits down is very important. It says this in verse thirteen: in the judgment seat, in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, the Gabbatha. When decisions were made in Rome, they would sit down on this thing that was called the pavement. Actually, Caesar Augustus had a portable Gabbatha that he would bring with him everywhere. He actually had in his caravan, his, his entourage, uh, a group of soldiers who their purpose was to carry a big concrete slab that when he could go out into the middle of nowhere and some peasant stole something from someone else, he could, all right, guys, bring out the concrete, and they'd slab it down on the ground, he'd scoot a chair onto it, and he could then make uh, authoritative decisions uh, from on this thing. So Pilate sits down here, and we're told... Uh, in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, that it is when Pilate sits down to start judging, 
his wife Claudia comes running to him and says, I had a dream. Have nothing to do with this man. This man is innocent. This man is the son of God. I had a dream. Don't go near him. And, and, and you can only imagine the stress he's going through. He's like, woman, leave me alone. I can't deal with this right now. Uh, and, and, and so the, all this stuff is going on. Uh, there, there's another uh, second century uh, document uh, that some scholars believe can be uh, dating back uh, to the mid-first century, about the same time Paul was writing his gospels, or, or uh, his epistles and the gospels were being written. It's something that is titled now as the Gospel of Nicodemus. Uh, and, and, and it wasn't found uh, uh, until the 1800s, but now we, we have multiple copies from historical digs and whatnot. Um, but this is an account uh, that is supposedly written by Nicodemus, who is throughout the Gospel of John, uh, as someone who was a Pharisee who had given their heart to the Lord. He asked Jesus, how do I be born again? Jesus taught him. And so he became a follower of Jesus, but he was one of uh, the Pharisees. Well, in his account... He, he breaks down what the dream was and like how this woman was like, she was terrified because she knew Jesus was God and that like, no, do not go near this. Uh, and, and it is also in Nicodemus's uh, writing that we have a copy of another uh, Acts of Pontius Pilate that go on to talk about how after this moment, Pontius Pilate was so um, uh, just so grieved by what he had done that he goes uh, and he converts uh, to Christianity like we had mentioned earlier. Um, this woman here, uh, this wife in, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, um, we don't actually have a name for her in Scripture. Uh, tradition tells her her name was Claudia. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 21 mentions a woman named Claudia uh, who, who was uh, a saint in Jerusalem. Uh, and so... Um, many scholars believe that uh, we know she converted to Christianity because Paul mentions her. Whether that's true or not, um, what we do know is that Pilate and his wife were both like, uh, Jesus, like, he's a good guy. Why are we trying to kill him? Verse 14, it goes on to say this. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour, and he, being Pilate, said to the Jews, Behold, your king. So Pilate is saying, All right, here's your king. Do what you want with him. And then they say this. The Jews respond, Away with him, away with him. Crucify him. And Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered and said, We have no king but Caesar. Now Pilate probably passed out for a second here. Because throughout the history of Rome's occupation of uh, Judea, they are uh, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. They have been very outspoken about how they have one king and it is God. Caesar means nothing to us. We don't want anything to do with Rome. We are autonomous. We worship God, blah, 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 blah. And so they had to have all these people, like all these soldiers come in to like quiet them down when they'd get so excited about their king being God. And now to hear these very people who would lead these big uh, uh, events about how no Caesar we don't like Caesar to say Caesar's our king Pilate's like what on earth is going on here the hypocrisy again by these people is is unmatched by probably anything in the history of the world uh, and Pilate says Pilate says you know what I'm done like you take him and you do what you want with him and he does this verse 16 he delivered them 
uh, or he delivered him, Jesus, into their hands to be crucified. So they took Jesus and they led him away. Uh, Pilate made his choice. Uh, Pilate made a choice. He, he, he was faced with the opportunity to let Jesus go or to give Jesus over to the Jews. And I, and I think Pilate was at a place that many of us uh, are at or have been to or will come to where he, he had to make a decision and he had uh, to count the cost. Let this innocent man go, and my conscience be good, or give him over. It's just one man, and keep my job. And, 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 and he was faced with, what is the cost of standing for Jesus? What is the cost of, of making the right decision in this world? And we could look at this and say, well, he made the wrong choice. He gave in. He didn't stand for Jesus. And, and truly, he, he could have let Jesus live. So... Yeah, he, he sent Jesus off to be killed. He has to pay uh, the price for that. Now, we're told in, in, in history that he ends up giving his heart to Jesus, uh, supposedly, and, and he says he repents of all these things. I like to believe that a man who knew he was that innocent would do those things, and that historical documents are historical. But uh, here's the thing. This is the only time in the history of ever that God and the devil are fighting for the same purpose. The devil is fighting tooth and nail to kill Jesus. But little does he know he's helping with the redemption ritual. Which is exactly what God's fighting for. God says, yeah, I know Jesus has to die. I know Jesus has to die. And in his death, we can have a redemption plan. Flying pacifiers everywhere. That's awesome. And, and, and so they're fighting for the same thing. The devil thinks if he kills Jesus, humanity is lost. Devil won, death has won, but Jesus is going to conquer death. I'm not going to steal thunder from a few weeks in the future sermon, but here's the thing. They were uh, fighting for the same thing, and, and Pilate was just a piece in this puzzle. Pilate had a choice, and that's the cool thing about God. God gives us a choice. Pilate could have chose, but he chose the way that orchestrated God's plan. God gives each and every single one of us a choice to choose and to follow him. Uh, and, and when we're faced with situations like Pilate, are we going to give in to what the world says and, and, and not stand for Jesus? Or are we going to stand for Jesus? And I just want to encourage you guys tonight, um, learn from the mistake of Pilate. Um, from an earthly standpoint, it was a mistake. We understand that it fit as, as, as something good in the grand scheme of things. But, but Pilate didn't stand for Jesus. He counted the cost and he didn't stand for Jesus. Um, it's been said that, that, that a wise man learns from his own mistakes, but a wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. Um, let's not face much grief. Let's not much uh, uh, face much guilt by not standing for Jesus. Let's just stand for Jesus. You know, Pilate washed his hands of it. Uh, we're told in the other gospel accounts, he says he washes his hands of it. Uh, washing his hands in the water did not remove the fact that he, he sent Jesus off to be killed. The only thing that could wash him of his sins was the blood that Jesus was about to shed on the cross. And, and here's the thing, Jesus shed that blood for us, and, 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 and we can make the choice to stand. We're not forced to stand because God didn't create robots. Uh, but you can stand for Jesus. Uh, so when you face situations where people are just irrational and hypocritical, and you try to delegate, you try to negotiate, you try and satisfy, uh, you try and exonerate, here, how, how about we just throw all those out the window and let's just make one decision and let's stand. Let's stand for Jesus. Amen? Awesome. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, we just thank you so much. Uh, God, that you have a plan. God, that you orchestrate everything. Uh, and God, I just pray that, that, that in each and every single one of our lives, God, we would make the decision to stand for you. Uh, 
Uh, God, that we would learn from Pilate. Uh, God, and that we would see your innocence. God, that we would see your truth when Pilate asks the question, what is truth? God, I pray that that would be a question we ask. And then we search out what that truth is, God. And when we find that you say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, God, that we would find that truth in you, God, and that we would stand for you with all we do. God, thank you so much for this evening. God, and we just pray that as we go from this place, God, that uh, you would just continue to be honored and blessed and glorified uh, by the way we live our lives. So, God, we just thank you and we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. Everyone said, Amen.